You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Atlanta's John Marshall Law School with Do Facts Matter? And it's pretty clear that they don't matter. <laughs> I got an interesting uh, email from the Heritage Foundation, and the, the Heritage Foundation uh, was talking about uh, membership and m- raising money and the importance of getting the facts out. And I just responded to them and said, no, facts don't matter. Uh, and I surely don't. We have an entire movement, the most powerful political movement in the country today, Black Lives Matter, and facts don't matter a bit. Uh, and by the way, Black Lives Matter is a political organization. And it has millions upon millions of dollars. It's funded initially by George Soros and the various foundations that George Soros supports. It's got corporate uh, contributions from even from Airhub and and Uber and what have you. And the well into eight figures in terms of the money at their uh, c- command. And it was uh, originally formed by just a great country. Uh, three three women, three black women who formed this group. And it just goes to show you the opportunity this country has for people to uh, raise money, uh, promote uh, uh, th- their ideas, and uh, even scam lots of people. So anyway, uh, I didn't, I, I, of course, I did not join Heritage Foundation. Uh, my view, of course, is the conservative movement's dead. And, uh, and facts don't matter. Uh, so let's take a look at uh, some interesting things today before I go on uh, on this area. And by the way, just as an interesting fact, I noticed that Nike uh, reported a 46% drop in revenue for the second quarter of 2020. Now, of course, Nike says it's all about the pandemic. I wonder, because the experts had projected a 9% profit margin rather than a 700 $90 million loss for Nike. Maybe Nike is uh, not only the pandemic, uh, maybe they're uh, <clears throat> tie up with the uh, radical left, Colin Kaepernick, and uh, his call for revolution has uh, finally hurt Nike. One of my regrets is I have a pair of uh, tennis shoes, which I wear in the gym by Nike. Unfortunately, I bought them just before Nike got in bed with uh, the ex uh, second string quarterback of San Francisco. And if I had known Nike would do what they did, I would never have bought anything from Nike. Just like now I don't buy anything from Gillette. I switched from Gillette to Schick. Why? Because Gillette had those two terrible ads, one attacking maleness and the other one showing a, a father helping his son become transgendered. Kind of really an outrage. Anyway, I've got a couple of guests today, uh, one of which is a young, young fellow, teenager, not a voting age. I'm not going to give you his name because he's afraid that 40 years from now, he might have said something on this show that would wreck his entire career, get him fired from uh, his high paying job. Uh, and uh, so, so he decides, no, he'll answer my questions only if I don't use his name or I don't even tell what city he's from. Um, and by the way, he's not from Atlanta. And I am, of course, uh, in Florida right now, broadcasting from Florida, in my home in Florida. 
But, uh, you know, I kind of feel that i am uh, got some protection. I'm a tenured professor, and I'm an old guy. So the school decides to get rid of me. I can always sue them for age discrimination. You hear that, Dean? Age discrimination. So we'll um, we'll, we'll see how uh, how that goes. Anyway, uh, the the fellow I have on now who's not yet of age to vote, he's uh, going into the 10th grade as I, uh, and he's in public school. Uh, I got a question. Uh, do the students, have there any involvement in po- politics? I mean, the Democrats, some Democrats have said they want to lower the voting age to 16. Uh, in other words, the more ignorant voters there are, the more likely the Democrats will win. So, uh, I mean, who could be more ignorant than a typical 16-year-old? Maybe the typical 18-year-old. I don't know. But anyway, um, what, what goes on? Is, is there, is there uh, uh, any feeling about say, Trump among your fellow students? There is the feeling that he is obviously a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, all that. But that is completely because that's what the teachers tell them, and they don't feel like they have to verify anything. Are you thinking about the teachers in uh, social studies classes? Every subject, to some degree, perpetuates these lies. Math? Yeah. Your math teacher. Does anybody push back to the, to the teachers when they propagandize like this? Very few, if any, with the exception of myself. And what happens when you push back? What do the professor, I mean, what do the teachers say that since they don't know anything, typical high, uh, public school teachers, so how do they put, push back at you? They either copy talking points from CNN or dismiss it. And do any of the uh, students, other students, come up to you and say, you know, you're right, but we're afraid to talk? No. So they just keep their mouth shut? Correct. Well, I think that uh, that's a good example of how far we've gone down the road of doing away with the First Amendment. Uh, it's amazing. It's uh, You're supposed to be, your speech is supposed to be protected from the government, but it's not protected from the mob, the left-wing mob. And uh, there's an interesting uh, prof- uh, professor, David uh, Graber at Cambridge. He attacked a fellow professor who actually was a scholar and, and, and investigating racial differences and uh, uh, defending the use of IQ tests. And he just attacked him. But of course, that's the left. The left only thinks in terms of identity politics. We conservatives think in terms of individuals. We don't care about a lot of the stuff. It's individuals. We don't much care about the other stuff. And we uh, we like to judge people as individuals. The left always judge people by the color of their skin or their ethnicity or or if they're in a, any other victim group that they've come up with. I guess now transsexual is the number one victim group. Um, now, let me ask you a question. Uh, what, what, what are you looking forward to? What kind of subject matter do you really like to, to study at this point? I really like American history, mostly because this is the greatest country on earth, and although we do have flaws, we are not a flawed country as a whole. And well, do, what about your history teacher? Does your history teacher uh, buy into uh, everybody's a victim? Mostly. They've stopped short of teaching the New York Times 1619 project, <laughs> but other than that, yes. 
Uh, now, I understand they do little exercises occasionally in your class about the diversity and victimhood and stuff of that sort. Is that true? It is. There was um, one time where they had uh, an external group come into the school and make everyone stand on either one side of the room or the other based on their um, agreement to the statement that was read. And one of them was is that I feel discriminated against on a daily basis. And everyone in the school, with the exception of myself, went to the other side of the room. Right. So everybody's a victim. They got to have an oppressor. So you were the oppressor. Apparently. <laughs> well, this happened at, uh, that's interesting because it reminds me of what happened at the law school, uh, John Marshall Law School some years ago. One of the professors who was a radical feminist and leftist, uh, had a questionnaire she was circulating on the faculty about how they identify themselves. And all these really intrusive questions. So I, of course, answered the first question. Uh, overall, how, how do you identify yourself? And there was, you know, racial groups and sexual groups and all sorts of stuff. And I put down oppressor. <laughs> and so, and it, let me just say the questionnaire went downhill from there. But it was, uh, the, uh, everyone knew, this is mostly anonymous. Of course, everyone knew who, who filled that one out. Uh, and we got the, that was silly. I think in those times, this was maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe 12, 15 years ago. And, uh, nowadays, uh, this might be taken very seriously. So who knows? Uh, no one has a sense, a sense of humor anymore. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so when you were the, this, the, the, the sole student who decided you weren't discriminated against. Then <laughs> what happened? Um, well, I was um, called to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the oppressor. You ought to be called to the principal's office. Go ahead. And I basically told her that um, her job is not to pin all of her students against each other. And um, she said that it is important to discuss, to discuss um, these inequities in life. <laughs> right. Well, there's a lot of inequities in life. You can discuss them all you want, but necessarily going to do anything about them. Uh, you know, some people, uh, feel it's inequity because they, they don't have a job that they want, don't have money they want, they don't have the spouse that they want. There's all sorts of inequities in life. So, which inequities was she talking about? Um, it's unclear, but I'm, I think it was racial. <laughs> I see. Well, I guess uh, an earlier uh, uh, recent version of Black Lives Matter. Uh, it's hard to really believe. I, it, the, if you look at, and those of you listeners who want to know about Black Lives Matter, there's plenty. Look up who funds Black Lives Matter. And they sent millions of dollars from various corporations and, and foundations, including several controlled by George Soros. Uh, and what what are they for? <laughs> They're always for defunding the police. And what does that mean? It's hard to know what it means because different so-called spokespersons for Black Lives Matter have different ideas of what defunding the police means. And uh, But there are other things. They're for open borders. A lot of what they have uh, uh, in, in their statements of what they're for have uh, been uh, adopted by the Democrat Party. So we have open borders. 
We have defund the police. Uh, we have increasing money uh, thrown away for more failing uh, programs, more failing welfare programs and health programs. You know, the, the, but, and I'll do another show on this. But the bottom line is that the Democrat Party has always treated blacks as inferiors, whether it's slaves or whether needing the help of, of, of white liberals. I'm going to bring up some of the comments that Malcolm X made about white liberals, and I think he made a couple of them publicly. He happened to make a couple of them privately, which I know about, but I think he also made some publicly about uh, these uh, white liberals running around helping poor little black folks because they can't help themselves. But uh, that's in, for another show. Now, I have here uh, another guest uh, who is uh, an attorney, uh, and he is... Uh, I, I don't know if I can use his name, but uh, I think I can. <laughs> right. I, uh, uh, Mike Geller, who's uh, worked with me for years uh, when I was in practice, in bankruptcy practice, and uh, he uh, remained in, in Dallas, Texas, and he uh, has a practice there and has uh, a nice family in Dallas, and he's uh, very active in the Orthodox Jewish community. And so I, one, one knows that the Jewish community is by and large Democrat. And, uh, I always say that, uh, I, we've got a congressperson running in, uh, where I live in Atlanta in the sixth congressional district, Lucy McVeigh. And, uh, we have a fairly large Jewish population there, although the district has in the past been pretty solidly Republican. Not the last time the Democrats upset the Republican Karen Handel. And, uh, I, part of the reason was a solid Jewish support. Uh, she was a woman, black woman, and she tolerates anti-Semitism, which seems to me the exactly the, the appeal to, to the Jewish voter. That way they can feel themselves accepting, feel themselves tolerant, feel themselves understanding, uh, but right here, I have Michael Gellick. Mike, you're in the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, what's going on? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. I think I was uh, last on the show in 2011. I was almost a completely different country back then. And it was at one point the question of whether facts matter was somewhat of a question back then. Of course, now it's been uh, clearly answered. The uh, answer is no. Right. Um, uh, you know, and it's interesting that the, the Jewish community is spread out throughout the country, obviously has concentrations in New York and New Jersey, and has some uh, uh, smaller congregations or, or populations in, in other states. Dallas sounds to be one of the uh, one of the locations to um, that uh, has a significant population. And so there's differences in terms of the outlook, mostly in New York and New Jersey, they will, um, New Jersey, they will, um, just because of the lay of the land, it's more of a, you know, democratic control. And so they're probably more, um, aligned there. In Texas, there's more of a, uh, you know, conservative bent. The actual, um, the actual, uh, uh, the, the values of the community, Pretty much match up, obviously, with conservative values. It's, it's very uh, individual based. It's, it's uh, abilities, uh, your responsibility, uh, right? There's a right, but also responsibilities. Very family oriented. 
and um, so in Texas there is more of a uh, a public conservative. Uh, um, uh, they're, they're not as, 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 it's clear it's more of a conservative uh, worldview, and, and they and they vote that way. So the precinct that the community is uh, primarily located in happens to have one of the higher turnouts, and it's more of a Republican turnout. So, 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 in terms of your <clears throat> synagogue is concerned, you would say that there's a heavy Republican vote, even though it's Jewish. Correct, and, and I mean there are those that have that they come from the New York area. They uh, w- w- and got used to a very heavy public spending on education, school buses, and so there's an affinity, there may be affinity with the Democratic Party on the, those types of issues, not realizing. How much has transformed? Uh, how much the world, the general world view, has gone left? But in ter- so when they come down to Texas, they may still identify with the Democratic Party. But by and large, uh, well, let me you know, uh, do uh, is the community. I'm, I'm sure there's there's a, a religious schools there, but I'm also sure that probably many of the uh, the people there or the children go to public schools. Uh, is there uh, an active parent involvement in the public schools there to, to keep the uh, the teachers in line? Actually, it's, it's really the acceptance of the rule. As much as, uh, and in fact, one of the financial challenges for the community is keeping the schools, the number of schools, depending on whether it's the day school or high school, afloat, because it does, by definition, take all comers, regardless of ability to pay. And so the the community would is, is very involved in a family who, for financial reasons, would tend to send their kids to public schools to make sure they don't do that. There's been a, there are exceptions, and it may very well be that you know, uh, it could be for special needs on, on both on both sides of the the, the spectrum. That the special needs in terms of real special needs, the, the public day schools cannot meet those uh, children's uh, needs. But also, if they're very very bright. Go to like the little magnet school uh, on high school. For example, the high school in Dallas County has a phenomenal magnet high school. So they may not go to the Jewish high school and, and because the Jewish high school can meet the, the gifted needs of those, uh, those children. But by and large, the, the goal is to keep all children in those, uh, in those private Jewish schools. And, and so why vouchers happens to be a very hot topic. Uh, one of the main frustrations in Texas and the Republican Party of Texas is the fact that some voucher system or some school choice system has not gotten traction where, you know, even in Illinois, uh, that it did. And so, so wait a minute, let me ask you a question. In, in Texas does not have a voucher system? Does not have a school choice system. So it does not, so people, uh, <clears throat> would have, so let's say in, in Florida, for example, one reason uh, DeSantis won the governorship is uh, because he came out strongly for school choice. And uh, whereas the Democrat, he, who was black uh, and, and ran, uh, was against school choice, was, was in the pocket of the teachers unions. And so DeSantis got a much heavier black vote than Republicans used to get. I'm not saying he got a majority, but he got uh, uh, a heavier black vote than uh, Republicans ordinarily get on the issue of school choice. So we, we go to Texas, and the Republican Party hasn't figured out that school choice is a winning issue? It, it uh, has not. There was uh, maybe two. Again, the Texas legislature meets only every other year. 
uh, and a couple of sessions ago, there was quite a large uh, turnout. They thought we were going to get some traction, did not go anywhere, was not picked up last session, um, two sessions ago, and also the, the 2019 session and not the 1917 session. The 2015 session, there was again this big uh, rally. We thought we'd really get some uh, traction, but as of today, uh, there is no school choice. Uh, similar Florida type, uh, Ohio, all these other states that have them. There's no similar program in Texas, and it's highly unlikely to be the next session because uh, the next session is going to be the first after uh, redistricting. So the legislature is highly likely to be consumed redistricting. So that'll be 21. So it looks like the legislative session for 2023 would be the first opportunity to pick it up again. So uh, one of the one of the first well, and it's really a need of the community because it's uh, it, it, the the consumption of resources of families, specifically the private school, obviously is almost very significant. Well, you know, this gets back to my my point that the Republican Party, as a whole, this there's exceptions, is a party of stupid cowards. They're politically stupid, and they don't have the courage of their own convictions. And that has been a problem with the Republicans for quite some time. And every so often they get someone in power who does have the courage of their own convictions, and they don't necessarily uh, support him. I think uh, one of the problems that President Trump has, aside from the fact that he is he, uh, <clears throat> he should control his mouth a little bit better, is that he uh, actually does have the courage of his own convictions, and the Republicans don't as a group. And therefore, they they uh, they uh, shy away from a lot of them. Shy away from them. he doesn't get the support he should get from the party. No, and it's always been on the platform. And it's always been a, a legislative priority. It was never translated. And remember, Texas is a large state. There are six million school aged children in Texas, it's like the size of all of South Carolina or Maryland, close to it. And so there's a significant population that is affected by the fact that there is a monopoly. Education uh, with, uh, with those in uh, controlling the monopoly that are not necessarily interested in any competition. What about uh, the Hispanic community? Where do they stand on this stuff? Well, again, when we went down to 2015 for this rally, uh, not only were the, the Orthodox and it was the Catholic Church, but there are uh, religious coalitions that formed, and, and a lot of the Catholic. Um, Religious leaders, mostly Hispanic, the mostly Hispanic congregations, obviously are very supportive of this issue, um, and probably would be likewise as frustrated as, as the Jewish community. So uh, I think there's a natural alliance there, just been insufficient to um, insufficient to uh, for whatever reason motivate the legislature to. To uh, you know, enact it, and, and there's a very powerful you know lobby. Uh, the Texas Education uh, Agency is a deep hey, Dave, are we still on? These are not. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, great. These are not uh, obviously uh, interested in giving up any of their control. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's um, let's 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 move on a little bit more because you have a a good uh, grasp of uh, politics. I was uh, talking yesterday to the. Uh, the fellow down here who has the best barbecue in the area. This is, I'm in the Destin area of Florida. And uh, those of you who come down here for vacation, beautiful beaches, there's a, uh, a stand at the side of the highway. 
main highway called Lily Q's. And Lily Q's is Paco there is the cook and owner, and he makes the great barbecue. And, of course, he's also happens to be a Trump supporter. But anyway, um, uh, uh, Paco, uh, Paco is not uh, his usual optimistic self. He's uh, nervous about the coming election. Uh, how do you feel about the coming election, uh, Mike? <laughs> well, um, I, I would point out that six months ago, there was a completely different outlook. And uh, just to show you how many things can change in six months. So I'm hesitant to say that six months from now, it is going to be as bleak a, uh, an outlook. I do think it's going to be contentious and messy period of time. Um, and so uh, it's hard to predict. Uh, I, I will just anecdotally tell you my father survived Auschwitz. I uh, I'll have an eye on what happens if uh, the other side comes to power. I think that it's very much a similar situation uh, as it was in Germany in the sense that you have a national party that thinks it's not only okay to talk about socialism, but that socialism is just missing and should just be implemented. And it has the propaganda wing in the mainstream media that in many respects, although Goebbels does not have the technology they have, uh, it, it probably would run, run circles around him. And there's the, there's the brown shirts are in the streets right now, ripping down our, our, our minds. It's very, there's a lot of similarities. And uh, as much as I love the country, as much as I want to fight for the country, I don't want to be in the same position that my parents were in, my, my father was in. So I'm very, very concerned about where it goes. Having said that, um, you know, I think that there is a, I, I was, there was no doubt with me, to me in November of 2016 that the president was going to win because much of the polling was going, or we, we travel around widely. We would go through, you know, these, we would, uh, be traveling through Ohio and, and Indiana and seeing the signs and getting the general sense that although people wouldn't have pollsters stuck a, a, a speaker there, a microphone in, their, uh, in front of them would not answer that they were going to support the president, uh, it was very clear that they would when they go into the voting booth. They wanted to just do their business. So I don't want to hear any more of the, the, uh, static and just go do their business and vote, uh, vote for the president. And I think we're still going to pretty much see that. Because uh, I, I think the country at its core, I think there's a, there is a chunk of people. Well, again, if they're quiet and you aren't hearing about them, it's because they are with a stiff upper lip just tolerating what's going on. But they, they're going to go into the voting booth. I think they're going to come out and enlarge. Well, there's, there's an interesting uh, pollster uh, who um, uh, is not well known, but he, was, he does very careful state-by-state polling, not national polling. And he actually, in 2016, called both Michigan and Pennsylvania for Trump, while the other pollsters uh, were, were talking about uh, Hillary Clinton being five points ahead in, in Pennsylvania and, you know, six points ahead or so in Michigan, what have you. And what he said is something similar to what you said. He said that uh, uh, there's a recent poll out that shows Biden 12 or 13 points ahead in Michigan right now. And he said his polling shows that the virtual dead heat that Biden may have a one point lead in Michigan. And he said, reason that that's showing this way, there's a lot of people who won't admit who they're for, who won't even answer questions. And that uh, uh, this has to be taken into account. And, and let me point out to my, my listeners here 
2016, if you subtract California and you include New York and Illinois and Washington, D.C. and Massachusetts, other heavy Democratic areas, but if you subtract California, Trump won the popular vote by a million votes. He lost California by over four million votes, which means in the election, Hillary Clinton won by three million votes in the popular vote, but it all came out of California. So if we want California to control who our presidents are, then we, of course, uh, need to dump the Electoral College. People don't understand what the Electoral College protects uh, liberty. It's one of the protections the the founders uh, uh, put in. Uh, We'll talk about that some other show. You can only win California once, not four million times. That's right. So, so... So I, I point out, people are just so surprised. They, they think, oh, no, you know, Hillary Clinton won this three million votes. She took every, no, she took California by over four million votes. Look it up. Look it up. I always tell people, look it up. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Like the fellow I met at the uh, Best Buy, uh, my TV set in Atlanta went uh, out. We've had it for 15 years and it was flashing black and white. So I figured it was dead. I went to Best Buy to buy a TV set, and uh, there was a young fellow that was a trainee that uh, was working with uh, Best Buy and advising people about what TV set, what their purposes were, the gaming uh, uh, angles of view, etc. And he seemed like a pretty intelligent fellow. He said he was studying statistics in college, which means he is an intelligent fellow. So we're talking away, and of course he was a young, maybe, you know, 20, and uh, and 21 maybe at the oldest, and of course uh, he's typical of that group, considers himself a Democrat. So I said to him, um, who represents the wealthy in this country? I mean, they're real. Oh, the Republicans. I said, hmm. if I told you that uh, of the 10 wealthiest congressional districts, at least eight of them, were represented by Democrats. Does that surprise you? At least eight. It could be more now. I This was before the 2018 elections. And uh, he said, no. I said, and, and let me ask you another question. How about the ultra-rich? You know, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, all these people, George Soros, people who have billions upon billions of dollars. Let's take the top ten. 10 or 11. Robert, Robert we're going to have to let everybody guess on that one until we come back. We need to take a hard break. Okay? Gotcha. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with my show, Do Facts Matter? And by the way, facts sometimes do matter, not often. And the reason I bring that up is uh, one of my little researchers here just showed me that the 10 top congressional districts in wealth are all represented by Democrats, not merely 8 out of 10. After the midterms in 2018, 10 out of 10 of the wealthiest congressional districts are represented by Democrats. So let's go. And by the way, a lot of them, of course, uh, do worthless. Uh, they're bureaucrats around Washington, D.C. There's a few around that area in Maryland and Virginia, and uh, so they live off the taxpayers. That's one reason Democrats are always for a lot more taxes, because their constituency lives off taxes, um, a lot of their constituency. But anyway, getting into um, the question uh, I asked this fellow about the ultra-rich uh, billionaires. So um, I had a research assistant of mine at the law school uh, list the 10 wealthiest people in the country, and I mean, People with multiple billions, not mere billionaires. I mean, people with real billions, you know, 10, 15 billion, 40 billion, 90 billion, wherever uh, yeah, Bezos is at the top. And we looked at it, nine, and we looked at this nine out of 10 Democrats. Sheldon Adelson, the Las Vegas uh, casino owner, was the only Republican of the bunch. He has Macau and, and look. Las Vegas casinos, and he was the only Republican in that bunch. So the question I always ask the students, if, if you follow the money trail, why are the affluent and the ultra-rich Democrats? Just the, what's, what's their reason? And, of course, in California, it's easy. California is a state of uh, wealthy folks, affluent folks, and their servants. So it's a uh, it's a high low uh, uh, political uh, uh, state. It's the the, the people with money uh, like having the people without money as their servants. So you have California, and that's the future of the country if the Democrats take over, uh, and as the middle class gets squeezed out. And one of the big problems, of course, Republicans have is all these people flee California. Because the Democrats have wrecked the state, and they go to Arizona and Colorado, and they vote Democrat. And therefore, they wreck, do what they can to wreck those states. Look what the people of uh, Massachusetts, when they moved to New Hampshire for lower taxes. New Hampshire went from a solidly Republican state to right now it uh, has a Republican governor at this time. But, of course, that's true. Any state that gets in real trouble financially always elects a Republican governor to clean up the mess. So when the Republican governor cleans up the mess, they then go and vote in the Democrat 
who promises free stuff. See Wisconsin, for example. But uh, I, this, he was genuinely surprised that uh, uh, of, of, of those facts. And I told him to you know go look it up, go check it out, and don't believe me because it's public knowledge. People, these kinds of things, Forbes magazine, you know, publishes all these people. I mean, Trump. It's not even in the top 10. I think that's probably why he doesn't want to release the tax returns. He doesn't want to show that he may only be worth two or three billion. And therefore he's a, you know, in that group of ultra, the ultra rich, he's the, you know, he's a piker. He has the next to nothing. I mean, what's two or three billion to, as opposed to 10 billion, 15 billion, 40 billion, not whatever Jeff Bezos has now, 70 billion. He said, well, you know, we got into a talk, you know, what, why, why is Jeff Bezos such a left winger? And why does he give all this? Uh, he owns the Washington Post, and he actually doesn't give a lot of money directly to political organizations. But he's but he's uh, he's turned the Post into a, of course, a left wing rag. And so, uh, look how much Jeff Bezos is benefiting by the riots, the shift to online purchasing. It's all been very helpful to Jeff Bezos. So the rioting, the looting, this is all helpful to Jeff Bezos. So facts do matter when you start tracing why people do what they do. And financially, a lot of these ultra-rich benefit. They benefit by small corporations and medium-sized corporations going bankrupt. That reduces competition. They benefit by highly regulated society because then small companies can't afford to, to enter the market because they can't comp- comply with government regulation. So there's an awful lot of things that one can see and why, why the Democrats are not only supported by, but controlled by these wealthy uh, interests in this country. And, uh, the, the, the fearsome part of it is, of course, the young folks are always suckers for utopian schemes. I mean, that's typical. I mean, I mean French Revolution, Hitler, uh, another utopian scheme is defined by Hitler. And, oh, he was a socialist, of course, too. And uh, Lenin, Pol Pot, Nazi Tung, uh, Cesar Chavez, uh, not Cesar Chavez, uh, Chavez of uh, Venezuela, uh, and, and uh Castro, all these uh, utopian schemes, which always end up uh, in mass murder of ordinary folks, uh, are always this. Young are always suckers. They want to feel that they're bigger. You know, this is big for them, and that's what the riots are about, right? You know, that's what the riots are about. It's all about uh, you get a, a group of people with a grievance, whether real or imagined. And they want to protest. They want to demonstrate. It's fine. And they get out and they protest. And then they protest for a length of time. And then you have what uh, Edward Banfield uh, in the 1970s wrote that uh, wonderful uh, book called Unheavenly City. And he discussed uh, riots and the history of riots. And going back to the uh, Civil War when the uh, when there were the workmen in New York City rioted because they were being drafted and they had no intention of going to war uh, to, to, to free the slaves if they could help it. So um, 
Banfield had a, a chapter in that book called Rioting for Fun and Profit. So you have a group with agreements, whether that's a real grievance or an actual grievance, doesn't make a difference for these purposes. They got agreements and they're demonstrated. And uh, so then comes, oh, that looks like fun. We can bait the police and get away with it. So you get all sorts of people coming in and joining in for fun. And when that gets out of hand, when the fun gets out of hand and uh, nothing really is done to stop it, then comes the profit, also known as the looters. So the, they come in and they start to loot on the cover of the those having fun and those with grievances. And, of course, in meanwhile, you got the political class, and as my son pointed out last week, no revolution is from the bottom up. It's always controlled from the top. Look at the French Revolution. Look at what happened in Germany. Look at Lenin and the vanguard. I mean, Lenin had contempt for the proletariat that he was supposedly represented because they had false consciousness and they would fall, fall for the sucker reforms by the capitalists and that they need to be told what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And insofar as they uh, resisted, uh, Lenin just said, shoot them. <clears throat> but in any case, we, we have this um, uh, control and, and this group now, controlling groups, deciding to use these political purposes. You know, look at the people who are really calling the shots in Black Lives Matter and other left, Antifa, very well-funded groups, both of these. And, 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 and who are they being funded by? Very wealthy folks, people in very powerful positions. Who's running the show? Lawyers, to a large extent. Some businessmen. The, the, another one, what I'm telling you is that they, they know how to play people for suckers, especially young folks. And that's what we're seeing now. Can you believe that the Oakland City Council voted to a to abolish the school police. Now, this was a big thing, putting people to protect students in schools from mass shooters. Now, we're abolishing it. It's part of the defund the police movement is to abolish policemen in schools. I guess the next thing would be to post signs in front of schools saying, this is a gun-free school. Anyone with guns should check it at the door. I mean, that's the... John Marshall Law School in Atlanta. It's gun-free zone. I was uh, talking with our former head of security. I wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't to talk about our current head of security, but our former head of security. I said, and he was an ex-policeman. I said, uh, you're not armed. He said, no, we're not allowed to be armed. I said, so what do you do if someone comes in here and decides to uh, shoot the place up because they don't like uh, uh, some professor, they didn't get a degree when they thought they deserved one. He said, well, we can always politely ask them to please check their machine gun at the, at the door here. I said, yeah, really great. This really works well, right? And the old saying, right, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Uh, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. I, uh, with, with this defund the police and with police being attacked, uh, I mean, police are standing down. I don't blame them. Why should they risk their lives when people don't want them to? I mean, they go into 
areas in New York and try to control crime, and they're pelted with water bottles and rocks and what have you. Uh, they, they, there's a murder in the uh, autonomous zone shop in Seattle, and the police try to come in there, and they're blocked from coming in there, and they're blocked, violently blocked. So, so, uh, so we're going to see when the police stand down, what are we going to see? We're going to see Ferguson. We're going to see St. Louis. We're going to see Baltimore. Look at the crime, violent crime rates ever since the police have stood down in Ferguson, that which is part outside of St. Louis. What's the most dangerous city in per capita? Not total murders, Chicago wins. Okay, Robert. Number one city for violent crime per capita is St. Louis. And on that well, note, we need to take our... Number two. On that note, Robert, we, we need to take our last break. For economic reasons, among other things. And Baltimore is number three. What was that... Uh, we did, we need to take our last break. And uh, in our break, I want to mention the fact that uh, we have a show called Veterans Stories. And uh, it's up, it's posted, and all you have to do is uh, go to our website and go to program, scroll down to where you see Veterans Story. And if you listen to the first one, you better have your box of Kleenex handy. It's a story of the Air Force lieutenant that was buried in Arlington Cemetery in the tomb of the unknown soldier of Vietnam and come to find out they did know who it was. And he's it, it, this story is told by his sister, who is a colonel in the Air Force, um, uh, Patricia Blossie, and uh, this is a, the Michael Blossie story, and it is just, it will tear you up. So I recommend everybody going to our website, go down to uh, A Veteran's Story, and it's the first show that we did, and we'll be doing them every week, and all the different veterans and, and their stories, and like I always get a veteran, have you ever met a veteran that only has one story? And the answer is unequivocally no. They all have many stories. Uh, anybody that's served knows that we, uh, we, the experiences that you'll never relive that, uh, are worth relating. So, and we also have other great shows on, uh, Sandy Bostic, who was Homeland Security agent in charge, and his last assignment was El Paso, Texas. But he also gives a great insight in his position over the many years that he served. He was uh, uh, called into the Secret Service at times. He was uh, on the Texas border at times. And his story is just interesting. And we talked about... Yesterday, this was, uh, or not, I'm sorry, not yesterday, but Wednesday, and it's a story of, are we being taken over by the communists? And he served many years in Moscow and related what he's seeing and what's happening to the uh, 1917 Bolkovich uh, revolution. And uh, we just got, we've got to keep our country, folks. So with that being said, let's go back to Do Facts Matter, which... Uh, Robert D'Agostino has proven they don't matter to Democrats, that's for sure. And back to you, Robert. Thank you there, David. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. 
And we were kind of talking, uh, we were talking about the, the riots, riots for fun and profit. Uh, Edward Banfield's wonderful book, The Unheavenly City. Go read it. Go if you can find a copy of it. Uh, it's out, out of print, uh, although it may come back into print since uh, there's new demand for for that book. I looked at Amazon. I was looking for my old copy from college days, but uh, uh, or post college days, I should say, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't find it. So I looked on Amazon, and they had a that copy available for about 140 bucks. So I. I go see if it's in our library. It's a good chance that uh, it may be in the library. It may have had donated somebody. Uh, one of the uh, professors uh, that taught there some years ago donated his library uh, to the to our library, and uh, those kinds of books are some of the kinds of books he had. So I'm going to find out if it's there. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, John March Law School school is closed because of the pandemic, but it's opening after the uh, July 4th uh, weekend. So I can access the library uh, quite easily at that particular point. Uh, of course, I don't know how they're going to do the classes. Hopefully, we'll have classes, uh, you know, in, uh, in 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 the building and not not distance, so-called distance learning. But if we can have that, I'm I'm prepared to to do it. Uh, not that I want to, but take a look at these these rioting. Uh, so we have a. A, a first a group with uh, grievance, real or, or imagined, that persistent in demonstrating. Then we have the fun seekers. And take a look at some of the people who are uh, running around, uh, you know, suburban kids, white suburban kids in their uh, Lexus uh, SUVs. They drive down to, to have the fun. And after that comes the profit seekers, uh, known as looters. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the ruling classes play them all for suckers, all for their own purposes. And the question now is, what are their purposes and why are they, why is all this money backing this? Why are the Democrats uh, uh, excusing the looting? And they do. They're excusing the looting the, uh, the, 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 and, and the destruction. All these statutes, all these coming down, it, it, the reason they're tearing this town is because the ruling class in this country has nothing but contempt for ordinary folks. And, they can, and they're showing their contempt by showing the contempt of the history of the country. That's what's happening. When you want to tore down Abraham Lincoln's statute, where, where he's illustrating his emancipation, the freeing of the slaves, when you turn on Ulysses S. Grant's statute, I mean, Ulysses S. Grant was a tremendous, he was, he was, I think if any one president absolutely was was convinced of the equality of all men, and I guess women, I should say nowadays, uh, black or white, it was Ulysses S. Grant. This is the guy who, when the Ku Klux Klan first formed in the South during his first administration, he sent federal troops to crush them. He destroyed the Ku Klux Klan in his first term. He took a Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, to uh, allow them to, to, to reconstitute in a big way, although they did reconstitute somewhat under the second grant administration because the Democrats took over the House of Representatives uh, uh, grants wanting to send federal troops to the South again to, to, to deal with some of the, uh, the atrocities directed against blacks. Uh, it wasn't so. And they teared down his statue. 
a person who inherited a slave and though he was poverty stricken at the time, freed the slave. When he was told he could sell the slave for a thousand bucks and get himself out of debt, he refused and freed the slave. He married into a slave-holding family and put pressure on his wife for years to free her slave. She had two or three, I think two. And she finally did free them on the insistence from her husband. And of course, her, her, his uh, wife's family was uh, our slaveholders and they were very critical of, they accused Ulysses S. Grant of being an abolitionist, which he of course pled guilty to. He was an abolitionist. Um, but down goes his statute, right? And others who have made great contributions to this country. And look, Thomas Jefferson was inconsistent. He was, uh, he knew slavery was wrong. He knew, he tried to prevent slavery from, from spreading beyond the uh, initial uh, states that had it in the South. And if he had his way, there'd be no slavery in Louisiana, no slavery in, in, in Mississippi, but he didn't have his way. And yet he kept slaves. And you say, well, why? Well, he was a lousy businessman. <laughs> and it was either keeping the slaves, from his point of view, sleeping the slaves or going bankrupt. Uh, yeah, he let his economic interests uh, supersede his, his principles. Well, you know, people are flawed. What can I tell you? But he, you got to give him credit for a lot of things. And uh, I, I think, uh, I'm going to reiterate, this tearing down of statues, this tearing down, this destruction, this defacement is an, is an expression of, of complete contempt for ordinary Americans. It's contempt for the Christianity of ordinary Americans. It's a contempt for, for to religious Jews, uh, the Orthodox community, which is why the Orthodox community is going to the Republicans. They understand what's going on. And one hopes that sooner or later, even the reform Jewish community will start to understand. And there's some indication that that's so. Um, there's a, a synagogue here in uh, uh, Fort Walton Beach, which uh, has, uh, uh, which of course, uh, believe it or not, even though of course the synagogue is Jewish, it uh, has um, a very substantial Republican group because they're all ex-military. And so the ex-military, yes, Air Force pilots and mostly former Air Force people, and they are Republicans. And uh, so uh, going, and I have a number of uh, uh, them ha have become very, very good friends of my wife and I uh, here in uh, here in Florida, and uh, and bemoaning the problems of this country. And some of them, the older ones who have parents or grandparents who were survivors of the Holocaust say how nervous some have passed away. They're getting by the rhetoric that's going on now in, in, in the United States and what they see is maybe happening in this country. Um, well, you know, uh, let me end up by, by going a little bit back to, to where, where we started and that is with Black Lives Matter. And the fact that they are a political organization that has virtually taken over the Democrat Party, that they have, they're, they're, uh, they have 
their main goal, is, they say, is defund the police. They also talk about liberation politics, about, um, you know, the uh, homosexuals and transsexual community, and, and, and they attack the heterosexual community as being oppressors and patriarchal and oppressors, and they need to be dealt with. Uh, one of them, uh, at least one of the uh, Black Lives Matters, not one of the leaders, but one of the spokespersons, uh, even uh, talked about, uh, you know, white lives don't matter. And, you know, when you get rid of them, and that uh, she's a professor, and that got her promoted, of course. The uh, And by the way, Robert, the uh, I'm sure you saw this or mentioned it, but the founder of BLM admitted that they were trained by Marxists. Yes, of course. I mean, it's, it all goes back to uh, uh, Saul Alinsky, and it goes back to the Marxists and the current Marxists. I mean, Marxism was about a class uh, uh, cl- class warfare. Uh, contem- contemporary Marxism is is about ethnic uh, warfare, racial and ethnic warfare. So that's the only that's the difference. Instead of based on economic differences, it's based on identity politics. That makes the Democrats a Marxist party, quite obviously. And they are a Marxist party because all they're interested in is is identity politics. Or as uh, once was said uh, uh, at Harvard Law School, that that, uh, the Harvard Law School faculty uh, believed in diversity. Everybody looked different but thinks the same. Yeah. And. That was their idea of diversity. Everybody looks different, but thinks the same. And with that, we're going to have to uh, wind it up. Well, thank you, and thank you for listening. And we'll uh, have an interesting show for you next week about where the money is coming from. Fantastic. For the left. Thank you, Robert. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.